Well, we're going to talk about burdens this morning. Uh, in many ways, this is a continuation of things that um, John has been sharing, not just in the sense that we coordinated sort of a, uh, a summer season of, of focus, but in that uh, really I'm kind of picking up threads and themes from specific teachings that John has brought over the past few weeks. Um, and so I want to start this morning with the invitation, the invitation that we just sang. It is very simply, come to Jesus. And go to the next slide. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We gather in joy this morning. We gather in joy. But it's an honest joy. It's a joy that recognizes how we celebrate and give thanks under many burdens. And sometimes it's difficult to give expression to that. We sort of want hot or cold, one or the other. We want everything to be okay and everything to be a cheer of victory, celebration, or we feel that we're somehow betraying that by expressing our lament, our grief, our hurt. So I want to share a song with you. I've, I've asked that uh, we uh, have a I hate to say a performance of this song. It's not really meant for you to sing along, although you will recognize part of it and, and may want to in some way uh, hum along. But this song, I think, captures what we're talking about this morning. got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so happy, so very happy. And I'm so happy. 
very happy and I'm so happy so happy so very happy Thank you so much. They, they went to a lot of trouble to put that together at my request, and I'm always very, very grateful for the way that the worship team um, does everything they can to accommodate my sometimes quirky requests. Well, this song speaks to me. It speaks to me, and it's in its rendition of joy. And it does so because I am a winter Christian. Have you ever heard this term before? A winter Christian. So this is from Richard Beck, who's a psychologist and a prominent uh, Christian author. Uh, writes not on, only on psychology, but on spiritual life and the lessons that he takes from his work as the department chair of psychology at Abilene Christian University. And he, he pointed out that often we simply work with a simple dichotomy between the church members who are positive and the church members who are negative. Those who uh, sort of have a positive, 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 positive attitude and a grateful heart, and those who complain, those who criticize the church, those who wonder about God and question their faith. And if we had this simple polarity, then we miss a vital point, which is that both of these groups of believers are in fellowship with God. And really, without adding that vertical dimension to our imagination, about what it means to lament and what it means to celebrate, 
we can too easily create a dichotomy and a one side and the other side kind of a picture of what's going on. And so, so he created this little diagram and he said, you know, you can have very little complaint. You can be very positive, very optimistic by personality, by virtue of experience and formation, whatever it is, and be in, in really strong fellowship with God. But you can also, you can also be someone who, because of experience, because of personality, disposition, because of circumstance, has to lament, has to cry out and say, why God? With many of our Psalms, with the book called Lamentations, with Job's own questioning heart, with all the poor of the earth, all who weep and mourn, and they can be in very deep fellowship with God. And so he put these two labels, these evocative labels, summer Christians and winter Christians. Of course, you can be in low fellowship with God, and if you don't have anything to complain about and you're in low fellowship with God, it's probably because you have nothing to do with church and you don't care, right? The disengaged. Um, or you can just be negative and critical without really living in fellowship with God and the church. And, and of course, we know people like that. We may have been people like that at some times. Uh, but just to be a spiritual critic is not quite to be a winter Christian who strives and leans toward this robust fellowship with God and needs to sing the song, I've got the joy, but needs to do it in a minor key, right? And that's, to me, the way of thinking about sort of what, what a winter Christian is. Uh, cool tones, minor keys, somber outlooks. Um, this is just the place from which I start and I love moving into major keys and being with my brothers and sisters who experience faith in a different way. I just don't. Um, and so I've always hated, uh, boy, I, I, I kind of wish I had some of my former youth group members here with me to testify to this. I have always hated the song, Cast Your Burdens Unto Jesus. Do you guys know this one? Cast your burdens unto Jesus, for he cares for you. I hate that song because, because it, it, it's so dissonant in my ears, in my soul. It doesn't take burdens seriously. It says it the wrong way. Now, you may feel like we just sang joy in the wrong way, and that's okay. This is very much the point. I don't have to love that song for it to serve you and lift you up. But the reason that I have so much frustration with songs like that, that almost flippantly talk about our pain and our suffering, our sorrow, our trials, and they're all okay because Jesus. And that is not the church's true experience. That's not an honest joy. I don't know if this will all be all right in the end. I don't know. 
And sometimes it isn't. And it's hard. It's a heavy load to carry. And I know, my brothers and sisters, I've come to know many of you more deeply over the last three years. And I know that many of you have carried and carry heavy burdens. So, to think about what I mean by that, let me, let me draw a contrast between what John discussed last week and what I'm driving at this week. Last week, John was talking about rest, the practice of Sabbath. And to a great extent, he was talking about our need to make the choice to rest, to choose not to break God's law and be restless, frantic, manic, self-serving. But there's another kind of rest. And it's one that doesn't give way to our choice. So you can't choose to stop grieving, to stop suffering, to stop being poor or depressed. You can't choose to put that burden down because it's not a burden that you chose in the first place. And that's what a yoke is. A yoke is a burden someone else put on your shoulders and said, pull. There are two yoke images in Scripture. One is the yoke of the animal, a beast of burden, protected by Sabbath law. But either way, the beast of burden must pull when the yoke is placed on its neck. The other is the human yoke. Literally, slaves were used as beasts of burden, a single yoke put around the shoulders and neck of a human being, which is why God spoke to Israel in her slavery in Egypt and said, I will remove the yoke of your slavery because they literally pulled big rocks for the Egyptians with yokes around their necks. They didn't choose that. The beast of burden doesn't choose a yoke. And we don't choose the burdens that we can't so easily put down. Could be a longer list, I suppose, but I think I hit a lot. And when I look at our family, I know that every one of these is represented somewhere in our life, even so small a community as ours, every one of these burdens which we would not choose and would not put on another, we carry. And so when we gather and celebrate and worship and give thanks, we do so honestly. And we confess at the same time the need for a rest that we cannot give ourselves. We can't choose. We need to come to Jesus for that rest. There's nowhere else to go. No one else who would put a yoke around our necks 
is gentle and humble in heart. Well, we have more to talk about there, right? Because it's still a little paradoxical. Jesus doesn't say, I will take the yoke off and you will walk free. He says, come take mine. It's light. And I am who I am. Pull for me. Well, for the moment, I just want to focus on one of these particular burdens. There are so many that we could explore, but this one, I think, is so urgent and so pressing that it's a useful example. We'll go to the next slide. Uh, you may have noticed last week when our children were up here expressing their thanks to Seth, how many of them mentioned experiencing depression? And the ones that spoke certainly aren't the only ones. The fact is, the data is showing, and this is constantly being updated, that we are experiencing in the Western culture, it's not just in the United States, though most acutely in the United States, a mental health pandemic, an epidemic here at home, but it is global. I know the charts are really small, and you can't exactly see what's going on there. I'll explain it a little bit, but you don't need to know the details to understand what this means on a chart, right? This is unprecedented. This has never happened before, as long as we have been charting data about mental health. From about 2014, there's a break and a drastic increase. So you have on this side, uh, major depressive episodes among teens. The top line is teen girls. And that gap is always there. There's always been a differential between the genders. Uh, but it's now reached nearly 24% of the teen population that experiences, according to a psychological diagnosis, a clinical diagnosis, a major depressive. A fourth of our kids. And the spike is, uh, is affecting everybody. It's up for teen boys as well. The middle line is the mean between boys and girls. On the other side, serious psychological distress, and the, the lines are 18 to 25, 26 to 49, and 50 plus. So the older generations are relatively flat, but there's something going on with 18 to 25-year-olds where they too are having major psychological distress in a way that hasn't been in evidence before. Again, this is just one example, and we can talk about causes, and if you want to have conversations about some interesting you know, considerations there, great. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is, this is not a burden that we choose. Certainly not what our kids would choose. This is the reality. This is the only way that one-fourth of children in our country can come to worship. This is 13% of 18 to 25-year-olds in major psychological distress. 
You can't just choose not to be afflicted. We can choose to address causes and we can pray and we can rely upon God, but in essence, we come to worship, we come to gather, we gather as community, needing very badly to come to Jesus. Now, I want to come back to Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 and just talk for a few minutes about what exactly is going on here. What are we talking about? Because I've just transposed whatever Jesus means by burdens onto what I mean by burdens and that list that we had up there. Things like psychological distress. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Well, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. What are those burdens? It's conceivable. It's conceivable that um, Jesus is talking about the burden of the law. The burden of the law in his religious context in which as he will say later in the book of Matthew, um, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. Referring to the Pharisees. So the imagery is there, but we're not there yet. And maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. And the next thing he's going to talk about is the Sabbath. Precisely the way that the Pharisees and other religious leaders desired for the people of God to practice the Sabbath. So, so maybe what we're talking about here is a religious imposition, a demand. And I want to give that careful consideration because in large part, what motivated John and I to talk about a season of rest is the recognition that for some time now we've been saying go, 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 go. Let's go. God is moving. We want to move with God. Opportunities are open. We want to seize them. Let's pray. Let's meet. Let's work. Let's pray some more. Here we go. And there has to be a moment where we in good conscience rest, where we stop and we breathe, we breathe in God and breathe out life. There has to be a moment. We don't follow a liturgical calendar, uh, which in some sense actually takes care of that rhythm, and so we have to decide, when is that going to be? We have to be thoughtful and conscientious not to find ourselves at the end of a year having only worked, having only said, let's go be as spiritual and godly and kingdom-oriented as possible all day, every day, without resting. And so I want to I give serious consideration to the pharisaical in us, that in us which desires to please God so strongly 
that we lay burdens on one another. Another possibility is uh, symbolized by the fact that Jesus borrows this language. Uh, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Almost all of that language, it's not verbatim, but it's very clearly taken from a, a book of Jewish wisdom written in the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the book of Sirach, in which wisdom is speaking to Israel. Wisdom says, come to me and I will give you rest. And now, Jesus, speaking as wisdom, and more than that, speaking as the revelation of God, look at the passage that precedes our text. Eleven twenty-five. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Now, this is metaphorical. He's saying that the regular people, not those who are well-educated and in positions of authority, but those who are in need of care and feeding and, um, in, in a sense, God's provision, in a different way, they have experienced revelation. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And the next thing Jesus says is, Come to me, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly in heart. That reveals the Father. That reveals God. And so, anyone who needs to know what God is like, anyone in that infant position, in that position of lowliness, they're the ones carrying the burdens that Jesus would lift. Anyone, all you, who are weary and heavy laden. And so perhaps Jesus is talking quite broadly, quite generally, about the need for all of us to have a God who would not only recognize our lowliness, the burdens that we carry, but would be lowly and humble in heart Himself. That revelation lifts a burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, rest for your souls uh, provokes me to say just for a moment that I want to be sure we're understanding this isn't not for your bodies, but rather for your souls. 
this word soul refers to the whole being. In fact, that's the that that's actually the key to understanding what's on offer here. That this is a total rest, a total well-being. Uh, it, it it's about the depth of the human experience, the total depth of the human experience. Everything that we not not just one part of it, not just the religious part of it, not just the work-a-day part of it, not just the family part of it. This, if anything, compels me to think that Jesus is talking about here something that includes the law, but is not limited to the law. That certainly must address the religious burdens that we're capable of placing on each other, but cannot be limited to that. That it is, in fact, everything that was on that list and more. For your soul, your very life, your being, what you are, that is the rest that Jesus, who reveals the Father as lowly and humble in heart, would give you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, we have to talk a little bit more about what that yoke is, but I'm going to put a pin in that, and we'll come back to, to that yoke. Just know that Jesus does have work for us. Jesus has work for us, but it's the work of a master to whom we have volunteer, voluntarily obeyed, to whom we have come, not as a slave, not as a beast of burden, but as a servant, and said, yes, I want to pull, and that master says, I am gentle, I am lowly, I'm kind not harsh and not demanding. So we'll come back to that. There's an interesting twist in New Testament theology when it comes to this conversation about burdens and coming to Jesus. And uh, it's that the other place where we hear about carrying burdens is this command. Bear one another's burdens. And in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, we, the invitation is to come to Jesus. But the truth that we've talked about for a few months is that we are the body of Jesus. And God forbid that I suggest to you that the church is replacing our approach to Jesus. No, no. We come to Jesus, but we come to Jesus together. We come to Jesus carrying each other's loads because some of us weren't even going to make it. We gather in joy carrying each other's burdens. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. But many of us really don't want to put those burdens down. Definitely don't want somebody else to shoulder them. 
They're ours. They're our problem. Maybe our doing. Certainly no one else's business. And so we labor alone and gather and sing and put on our best face and stretch toward joy. But I'm telling you now, I can't obey Jesus if you won't share your burden with me. And you can't obey Jesus if I won't share mine. If I won't make it known to you. If I won't come to you. Because Jesus is in you. And I so badly need to come to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, church, this morning. We're on a journey together. And some of us are going to falter. Every one of us at some point is going to get exhausted. It's going to need someone else to shoulder that burden. Trust one another with that. Ask. Ask for the help. Make yourself vulnerable. Let the church know. If we have failed to carry your burden, tell us. If we don't know about it, share it. That's the only way together. That's community. Well, let me give you a couple of stories that I think exemplify what I mean about this journey together. The first one is from my youth group experience, Wilderness Trek. Uh, this experience is seared into my soul and my consciousness. Four years, no, five years, um, you're eligible to go the first summer after your, the summer after your eighth grade year. And so um, this was a trip we would drive from Tyler, Texas, East Texas, all the way up to Salida, Colorado, and get together all of our gear and distribute all the food and fill all the packs and hike up to the summit of one of the Rocky Mountains, 14,000 plus feet. And of course, this was basically a, a youth retreat. So every day is built in rhythms of prayer and singing and time with God and reflection. And there's something about the process of climbing a mountain together that is, it forges you into a community uh, in, in a powerful way. But one of the things about it is, how many of you have ever been up to 11, 12,000 feet? Yeah? How's the air up there? Yeah, yeah. So, you hike for two days in order to get to high camp. High camp is basically at tree line. It's where trees agree that there's not enough air and they stop growing. <laughs> right? So you camp, uh, and we, you camp and spend a whole day uh, in uh, 
and devotion and reflection and play in preparation for Summit Day, which is the next day you're going to wake up at about 3.30 or 4 in the morning and, and start in order to hopefully get to the peak before the afternoon weather comes in because you've got to get down before the storms hit. Well, that day, that second day coming up to high camp, it's pretty brutal. Most of us on the trip are not in shape to begin with, not hiking shape, right? We're certainly not used to carrying 50, 60. If you're an idiot boy, 70 pounds of gear, most of which you don't need. Um, and so it's very difficult, step by step, carrying this burden. And the man who would lead this trip is right there, Tim Henderson. He's my youth minister. If you've uh, been around me for long, you've heard me talk about him. Cohen's name is Cohen Timothy, named after Tim. Uh, Tim is my spiritual father. He's my mentor. He's the man that uh, through years of ministry, I frequently asked myself, what would Tim do? Um, I imitate Tim as he imitates Christ. Well, obviously, Tim is a heavy guy. Oh, has been his entire life. And for the roughly, I don't know, probably 15 to 20 years that he led groups up mountains in Colorado, for much of that, he was able to do it, but uh, as the years went by, it kept getting harder and harder to make it even to, even to high camp. And uh, so for Tim, like for some of the others who were struggling more, many of us would carry two packs on the way to high camp so that they could make that hike and get up and rest and get ready for the more brutal pack-free. You only carry a day pack with water and snacks for the summit hike on the following day. And um, one, of the, one of the more powerful memories of my youth is the first year that we went to summit Mount Crystal, and Tim was with us, of course, always at the very back of the long line. And it got to the point where he just, he was having a really hard time. So, of course, we take everything off him. And then six, eight of us push. Two on each hand. Pull. This is the only way we make it up. Some of us carry burdens that we didn't choose. And the only way we make the journey is if somebody's pushing and somebody's pulling and somebody else is carrying our stuff. Another story, this one you'll recognize. Um, John brought up Lord of the Rings last week, which gave me license. 
all these years, all these years, I have resisted using Lord of the Rings in a sermon because it is so dear to me that it feels very self-indulgent. Well, so I don't know if, if there's anybody here that doesn't know the gist of the story. It's saturated the culture now so much and the movies have made it accessible. But just in case, here's the, here's the gist. There's a very evil power that has created a very evil object that's come into possession of a weak, small, vulnerable person whose responsibility it is now to go on a very long journey in order to destroy that ring. And around that person gathers a fellowship, a group of friends that will make the journey together and protect one another. So, because too many of you have uh, only seen the movie and not read the book, uh, I'm going to read to you a passage from this moment, this scene, where at the end, it's only two of them that are left, struggling up the side of the volcano called Mount Doom to drop the ring in the lava from which it was made, where it was forged. And it's a, it's a, it's been, it's been a long journey and they're exhausted and the weight of the evil of the thing that Frodo, the main character carries is just about to crush him, but it's his burden to carry. He has to carry it. It's his commission and so many others are depending upon him. And then his companion, his faithful friend, Sam who has made it all the way with him. And because he hasn't been carrying that evil, he has a little more strength left. And so at the end he says, now for it, now for the last gasp, said Sam as he struggled to his feet. He bent over Frodo, rousing him gently. Frodo groaned, but with great effort of will he staggered up and then he fell upon his knees again. He raised his eyes with difficulty to the dark slopes of Mount Doom, towering above him, and then pitifully, he began to crawl forward on his hands. Sam looked at him and wept in his heart, but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes. I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it for you but I can carry you and it as well. So get up. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. Sometimes these burdens are impossible to put down. I can't carry your depression for you. I can't carry your disease for you. I can't carry the grief or the trauma of your past. I can't carry that for you, but I can carry you. We can carry each other. We can make this journey together. 
And make no mistake, church, we have been given a commission. A yoke has been put around our neck by Jesus. And so I want to conclude by saying something about the burdens of mission. First, let's acknowledge the hardship of the journey. Afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Now Paul is confident as he lists those difficulties that they do not destroy us. They do not keep us down. They do not have the final word. And So we sing joy. We sing joy. But he does not deny that this is our reality. This is the truth. For anyone who would put on that yoke and pull, this is the truth. It's very hard. Secondly, there are the burdens of fellow travelers. If we go together, if we share this work, then sometimes my own personal burdens are going to become yours in mission. So we don't get to just set all that stuff aside and focus on the mission work. We don't just get to only concern ourselves about those in transitional housing. We don't get to only concern ourselves with the children and faculty and staff at Mitchell Nielsen. We don't get to just act as though we are not carrying anything and that's all there is to do. Along the way, because we serve together, we have to carry each other's packs. We have to pull and push each other along. This is the only way forward. This is what it means to be a missional community. And lastly, there are the burdens of others as they come to Jesus. Because like so many of us, our neighbors and our friends, whom we invite, come to Jesus. Come bring your burdens to Jesus. He will give you rest. They're so weighed down, they can't even make the journey. That trip, that step forward to come to Jesus, they can't take it unless we carry them. So we walk with them and they become a part of the fellowship. And in fact, I think the, that vision of the shepherd going after the one lost sheep, frequently painted with the, the lamb over the shepherd's neck, hiking out of a canyon that the sheep could never get out of, is very apt. Sometimes we simply have to carry people to Jesus who would come but don't know how to take the next step. These are the burdens of mission. And I want to conclude in that 
posture of caution. Because I confess, um, Jesus' yoke is light. As I say, the journey is hard and the burdens are heavy and there's a whole bunch of them. And it, ta- it sounds like weightlifting class or something, right? Sounds grueling. The truth is that we pull for a master who loves us so deeply and has given us by our own decision the privilege of sharing in the work of the deepest conceivable joy. I am who I am. And I've made the choices that I've made to enter into mission and ministry and service to God as much as I could in very large part because of those experiences of my youth group where we were forged into a community through something hard because the joy of it was overwhelming. The joy of carrying each other up that mountain, of carrying each other through high school, of weeping together and praying together and singing at the top of our lungs together. That is joy. And it comes from carrying that burden. It's light because our master is so good. That is the God we serve.